Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. And I'm so glad that we have been as a church going through it uh, this year. And we've been reminded this month from the beginning about some of the things that occurred in Old Testament Israel, because we've touched and finished now the book of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And if you want to read along, we've got the, we've got the uh, schedule right here on every week's bulletin. You can also pick it up online, catch up. You can get it, download it. You can start now and just carry over into next year, but get through God's Word. Well, we as we've read these Old Testament books and they're rich and they all point to Jesus, we've been reminded about this schism in Israel. The country split. There was a north and a south after King Solomon's death. The nation became two. There was the kingdom to the south, Judah, the smaller of the two, the tribes of just Benjamin and Judah, the kingdom to the north, 10 tribes. That was called Israel. In the north, idols were established. And that was because, hey, the south had the temple, the south had Jerusalem, the kings of the north, they didn't want the people going south, they didn't want to lose them. So they set up idols and started all kinds of different worship to keep the people, to satisfy their urges. And that didn't sit well with God. So what did he do? He sent prophets. As we read through the books of Kings and Chronicles, we read about Elijah and Elisha. They were the oral prophets. But after Elijah and Elisha came the literary prophets, the ones that were writing things down. And one of the earliest ones is the prophet Amos. His name means burden bearer. And he came along soon after Elijah and Elisha. He's thought to be one of these earliest prophets that wrote his word down and recorded it in writing. And who was this guy? Who who was this Amos? We don't know much about him. His life's a bit of a mystery. All we have is what he gives us, little verses of a biographical sketch in the book that he put together. And that's it. That's all that we have. It's scant, but from the clues in that book, we can put together a a bit about who this man was. And I want you to know a little bit about him because we're going to read from his book this morning. It's... uh, We covered it. We covered the prophet Joel in a week. We've covered Amos last week. And I want to touch on Amos chapter 4. But first, get a little picture of this guy. In Amos chapter 1, verse 1, he tells us a little bit about himself. He said, I was from among the shepherds of Tekoa during the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. So he was from the southern kingdom. He was from Judah. He was around during the reign of Uzziah, probably just before Isaiah came along. And he tells us he was of the shepherds. And shepherds were pretty common characters in the Old Testament, weren't they? We read about shepherds quite often in the Old Testament. Really, from the earliest pages of Scripture, we read about shepherds. Jacob and his sons were shepherds. Moses, he became a shepherd for 40 years before he became the leader of the people and took him out of Egypt. David, he was a shepherd before he became a king. And shepherds were often described as simple people, humble people out there living on the land. You know, they uh, are sometimes described as just simple, uneducated people. 
So Amos writes that he was among the shepherds of Tekoa, and we might picture him a simple guy tending his sheep, living off the land. But there's a clue there in what Amos wrote, and he used a word that described himself as a shepherd that's not very common. As a matter of fact, it's only twice in the Bible. It's there, this word that uh, Amos used, it's the Hebrew word nocade, and he used it, and it's one other place. We've already read it. If you've gone through uh, the book of 2 Kings chapter 3, it's the same word that was used to describe the king of Moab as a sheep master. He was a sheep master, and it says this king gave Israel a gift, and no small gift, a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams. That's 200,000 head. That's a pretty big shepherd, if you will. So this word seems to imply something a little bit more than just a simple shepherd tending a single flock, but a sheep master, kind of akin to the word we might say rancher, someone who's looking after a whole bunch of flocks, who's in charge of a lot, not illiterate, but educated, someone who's got to understand the business. And Amos's writing doesn't reflect an illiterate guy. It reflects a guy who knew what he was talking about. He knew history and he could write well. In Amos chapter 7, we get another clue into this guy. In Amos 7, 14, we learn another detail. He says, I am no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore fig trees. So now he uses this, uh, another term, and, and he, it, it's translated in English, herdsman. And this is the only time this word is in the Bible. It's... Uh, it's unique. It's a single term. And again, it lends, uh, it lends itself to this idea that Amos was beyond just a small-time shepherd. And he was no prophet, he says. I wasn't from the line of prophets. I wasn't schooled as a uh, prophet. We can surmise he was a businessman. He kept these sycamore fig trees, probably orchards, to feed all these head of uh, sheep that he was looking after. And he was sure, though, that God had called him north to prophesy. He felt burdened. And this is his name, Burdenberry. He had felt this great burden to go north, go to Israel, and bring a message, and not a good message. Not a, a message of some loving kindness, God's going to be uh, kind to all you wayward people. No, he's bringing a message of judgment. And if you've read the book, you know that. Israel had been through a famine. They'd been through wars. They'd been through other troubles. And they didn't come to repentance. Amos is going to call them to repentance. And now, after all these things that they've suffered, they're having kind of a period of good times. Many in the land were enjoying prosperity. The rich, they lived lives of luxury, and their spiritual lives were empty. Their religion had become ritual. It had become all form. It was idolatrous, and God and all of his ways had been abandoned and rejected. I want to ask you a question. Does any of that sound familiar? And then here comes, out of the blue, this business guy, a probably well-to-do guy who's got no experience as a prophet. And he comes with scathing words. 
And we're going to see that in a minute. And he was hated. The people in Israel told him, go home. Don't come back. Get out of here. We don't want to see your face around here. Now I want you to consider a, a modern day example. Think right now the White House. Consider President Trump. This guy came out of nowhere. Come out of the blue. He's a businessman. He's got no political experience whatsoever. He wins his first election. He becomes the leader of the land. He uses a lot of scathing words. And a lot of people in Washington and elsewhere, they can't stand him. They hate him. They want him out. They're not, they're not mincing words either about him getting out. And now, please, don't misunderstand. I'm not telling you that President Trump is somehow on the same level as the prophet Amos. Please don't send me the letters, okay? That's not what I'm saying. It's just a little example to sort of give you some uh, perspective into the, the distaste for this guy, Amos, and uh, the harsh words he's using. It's just kind of an example for a sense of perspective. And I believe Amos felt this kind of a derision and hate. He meant no words. His opening salvo, Amos chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. What do you think's coming? Peace like a river? He wasn't coming with no peace like a river message. No, God's word of judgment was coming. God is roaring. God is thundering. People of Israel, you better fasten your seatbelts. And I want to touch on, on just an area of Amos's message here that is scathing. My focus this morning is Amos chapter 4. I want to focus on part of it, but I want to read the whole chapter. I want to give us all some context and, and see and really hear what this prophet had to say. So I'm going to read the entire chapter, chapter 4 of Amos. It's uh, 13 verses, and it reads this way. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn in his holiness. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You will each go straight out through breaches in the wall. You will be cast out toward Harmon, declares the Lord. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do declares the sovereign Lord. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, and yet you have not returned to me, declared the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord." 
Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, and because I will do this to you, people, prepare to meet your God. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. Now, what can you say after reading that? It is blistering. How did this prophet begin this chapter? How did he begin this word from the Lord? Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. Now, have you seen the headlines recently? It's like every day. There's a headline about a tweet storm. Yeah, a tweet storm from the president. He's got all these harsh words, right? And he just nails people, lays them out, doesn't care what he says. You know, this is kind of like a tweet storm from God. He is mincing no words at all. This isn't ironic. It's beyond ironic. His message is mocking. It's scornful. God Almighty is roaring and thundering. And it's no wonder the people of Israel said to Amos, hey, head south, buddy. We do not want to hear you. Get out of town. Go back to Jerusalem. Go back to Tekoa, wherever you're from. Hit the road. Those aren't kind words. Yeah, but Amos continued. You know, you're going to be like, taken out on hooks. You're going to go for the bait. You're going to be pulled out on fish hooks. You're going to go through the breaches in the wall. Why? The walls are coming down. You know, the walls of Samaria, they're going to be gone. Capital's going. And then he says, go to Gilgal. He says, go to Bethel and sin. Now, what is this all about? Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin more. These were the cities in the north that were at one time holy cities. Bethel, where Jacob had his vision of God coming down from heaven. He said, I call this place Bethel, the house of God. Gilgal, this was the first stop for the people who Moses led out of Egypt. Their first stop into the promised land after they crossed the uh, Jordan River. And then Joshua, he pulled out 12 stones from the Jordan and he set up a memorial in Gilgal. These were holy cities where the Israelites worshiped. But God, in his message to Amos, he mocked their devotions and sacrifices. You brag about them. Nothing in their heart. Nothing in their heart towards God. No, it's all about self. It's all about show. It's all about form and uh, ritual. 
God goes on to remind them he has dealt with past generations, with drought, with locusts, with plagues, with defeats militarily. You know, your young men were killed. The camps, the stench of death was in the air. Yet you did not return to God. Some felt it, it reads, like Sodom and Gomorrah. And after all that, you haven't returned to the Lord. You know, misdirected faith leads to misdirected lives. And then consequences follow. These people were far from the Lord. And then, after all of this, comes verse 12. Amos lays all this out, and he gets to verse 12. And verse 12, it says, Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. What is God going to do? It's interesting. This, this passage here, verse, verse 12, it doesn't even tell us what God's going to do. It just says, therefore, this is what I will do to you. What does he mean? What could this mean? There was kind of a common saying in the land, and it was this, may God do to me all that has been said and more also. When somebody made a vow, when they made a pledge, this was sometimes what they would say. Jezebel, she said it to Elijah. I am going to take your life before tomorrow. And if I don't, may, it, may, may the gods do to me and more also. Well, she found out what that meant. She died an unceremonious death. More also, and the dogs licked her up. Solomon said this about eliminating his brother, uh, Adonijah. After, after David was gone, you know, his brother was trying to get the kingdom. So Solomon said, I'm going to eliminate my brother. And if that doesn't happen, may God do to me and more also. Ruth said it to Naomi. If you die, may the Lord do to me and more also. So, in other words, may it be more severe, may it be even harder than what I have said. And this is what Amos was saying was coming to the people of Israel. The Lord is going to do all this. Read the first 11 verses. All the plagues, all the war, all the famine, etc. And more also. This is what the Lord is going to do. Therefore, the Lord is going to do all that was done in the past and more also. Prepare to meet your God. That has got to be like a shock. If you've ever been a, you know, stuck a plug in the wall and you got that numb, this is how this comes across. This is what God is saying. This is an electrical shock, the way that Amos is talking. This is hard. This is derisive. This is sarcastic. Prepare to meet your God. You know, we have a saying in our vernacular, what might God be doing here? And we might say, God's talking some smack here. God's talking smack. 
You know, like the prize fighter who's looking down upon an unworthy opponent, you better be prepared to meet me. Why? Why would the, why would the big fighter be looking down on a little and say, be prepared, you better be prepared, because I am going to take you out. Don't you understand that? Prepare to meet me. You're going down. And you know, I thought about that, and it's a very weak analogy. It really is. Because my God doesn't talk smack. No, he is resolute. He was very serious, and he meant what he said, and he still does. And this is like the word that went out to Job. You remember Job? He was the man who was called upright, but he lost everything, lost it all. And Job decided he would talk some smack to God. This is what happened. The role's kind of reversed. Oh, Job's going to talk a little smack. God, I got a problem here. I don't deserve this pain. Yeah, you've given me boils. My kids are gone. All my possessions are gone. Hey, God, what did I do to deserve this? This is unjust and it's unfair. Now, how did God talk back to Job? I'll give you Job 38, verses 2 and 3. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Hmm. Other versions of the Bible put that line this way. Prepare yourself like a man. Get ready like a man. Well, now, why was that? Job, you're about to meet God. You know, God is saying, I got something to say to you, Job, and you're going to listen. Now, if you've ever read the book of Job from chapter 38 to 41, God takes Job to task. He gives him a dressing down like none other. That's a four-chapter dressing down by God. Where were you, Job? Where were you when I created When I said, water, stop here, land, stop there. Where were you when I hung all the constellations in place, when I put the sun up, when I put the moon up? Hey, Job, can you send a lightning bolt? Show me. God lists all the creation of animals. Job, hey, Job, did you bring them into existence? Does the hawk fly by your wisdom, Job? And then God said this, Job, you discredit my justice. And you condemn me to justify yourself. The word of the Lord from Amos, it's a parallel to this. Prepare to meet your God. This isn't going to be some tea party. It's not going to be God just giving a tongue lashing like he gave to Job. It's going to be beyond that. No, it's going to be like Sodom and Gomorrah and more also. That's... Something that should cause us to stop in our tracks. Misdirected faith leads to misdirected lives. And consequences follow. Where's your faith today? Are you prepared to meet God? Or are you holding on to a false sense of security? 
That's what the people of Israel were doing. It's a message that can come through to today. We can apply that militarily secure, a time of peace, holding on to their wealth and their possessions, their comfort with misdirected faith, lip service and ritual to God. Wealth and comfort were their, their sources. And they were false security. God will take away those things. And he can do it in a minute. He'll take away those things that we put our trust in. The New Testament writers wrote about it. James wrote about it. Paul wrote about it. I give you a, uh, just a bit from Paul's letter to Timothy as he closed it in chapter 6. This is verses 17 to 19. Paul wrote, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Yeah, this New Testament word, it also parallels what God was saying through Amos. Paul wrote to Timothy about these people who are holding on to a false sense of security. And it was their prosperity, just like those people in Israel. And Amos minced no words, called them cows. You know, how hard is that to hear? You know, we hold on to those false senses of security. And you might be holding on to some other false sense of security. It might be a person, a relationship that you've made into an idol. You're hanging on. It could be your career. And as long as you got that safe, maybe it's health. Maybe it's health. You obsess over it uh, to the point of whatever, uh, addictive exercise, I don't know. And you hang on with all your might. You know, perhaps it's a, a form of legalism. You know, you're holding on to earning your acceptance with God. You know, ritual and form and all of that. The word of God through Amos is let go of that misdirection. Let go of that misdirected faith. It's misdirected your life. When Julie and I were at the youth camp, uh, Noah Allen uh, was talking. He did a very good job. He did an excellent job with the youth. But on the one night, he brought a message, and I told him, hey, uh, brother, I'm stealing that. So this morning, I'm stealing it, okay? He gave a little story. It was a parable. It's really not a true story. But it, it, it works here, I think. Talked about a man who was walking, and... He slipped and fell off a cliff. And it was a long way down to the bottom to go splat. And he reached his hand out and he caught hold of a, a branch or a, a root that was sticking out the side of the cliff. You've seen them. And he held on. Now this little story connected with me. And you may have, I may have said this story because this happened to me. I fell into a river and I was going over the waterfall and I reached out and I grabbed a root and I held on because I thought I was going to die. 
And I was maybe eight years old. That waterfall may have only been five feet tall. I can't remember. But to me, it was death. I mean, I thought I was going to die. If I let go of that root, I was going to die. Now, Noah, he said, the Lord spoke to this man because the man was crying out for help. Help me, help me. And he heard the word of the Lord, and the Lord said, let go of the, let go of the branch. Let go of the root. And the guy thought about that for a second, and he looked down. And he was like, no way. It's not happening. And he started to call out, hey, anybody else up there? Anybody else can help me? Where's our faith when God says, let go? I'm glad I didn't hear that word when I was a kid. You know, I did pull myself up and wondered why my brothers ditched me because they were running ahead of me. That's brothers. But sometimes God's calling us to let go. You know, we're hanging on. We're hanging on to health. We're hanging on to wealth. We're hanging on to a person. We're hanging on to something. We're hanging on to earning our way to uh, righteousness with God. And he's saying, let go of that. Take a hold of the cross. Take a hold of Jesus Christ. Grab a hold of him. Because in him, you will have security. In him, you will have all that you need. You can rely on him. He is your security and he will be your security. We can have security in him because he did not spare even his life for us. He went to the cross and he gave himself up as a ransom for many. That's what we sung this morning. And that means something. It's powerful. He gave his life for us to be our security, our safety. But if we misdirect our faith and we're hanging on to something else, hey, prepare to meet your God. And Jesus offers a pardon for sin, a complete pardon for sin to those who would repent. But the Israelites, they refused to repent. Over and over, we read it. They did not return to God. God's patient. God is patient. But the day will come for every single one of us where we're going to meet our God. And we're going to meet him face to face. Prepare to meet your God. Let go of that false security. And that's hard. It's hard to hear these words of judgment in, in the way that God talked. But I think we can also see this in a positive light. I'd like to turn it to a positive sense. And I know it, it lifts it a little bit out of the context in the book of Amos. It differs from the context. But I want to ask you sincerely, are you prepared to meet your God? And I use this illustration. Like a child that's going to be adopted. Picture in your mind a 10-year-old, 11-year-old child, maybe 12 He's an orphan, been an orphan all his life, been longing for a mom and a dad, wants a mom and a dad. Then the day comes, and he's told, 
hey, you're going to have a mom and a dad. Just imagine that kid for a second. Well, what's going to go through his head? Well, what do they look like? Are they tall? Are they short? What do they sound like? Where do they live? What are their names? He wants to know. He longs to know all about them. He can't wait to, to meet them. And of course, he wants to be accepted by them. What has he got to do? What has he got to do to be ready? What, what, what should I do? I, I want to be ready to meet them. I want to know everything about them. You know, he wants to be prepared. That's the way it was at the youth camp this week. That's what it was all about. They were preparing. The whole thing was rooted and being rooted solidly in Jesus Christ. And if you were here last week, you know that. And you heard a lot of songs about being rooted. But the point was made to the students in the way. The point was made, don't make this camp. Don't make this just a week. You need to make this every day. You know, if you're going to be rooted in Jesus, you need to make it an everyday proposition. You know, let those roots go down deep and, and let the, the tree and the fruit come up. It's, it's an everyday, everyday proposition to know Jesus more. It's getting ready, it's preparing. So we're all going to meet him face to face. Why not prepare now in a great way, in a positive way? Jesus is relational. He loves us. He wants us to know him. His word says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received him? Are you a child of God? Don't you want to know more about him? Like that kid that just heard, I'm getting a mom and a dad. Get to know him. Get to know him more and more. We do that through his word. We do that through prayer. We do that through interaction with others. Get to know him. One day we're all going to meet him face to face it. And we want it to be a beautiful occasion. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into thy rest. Those are words that I want to hear. And I, I, I don't want to be saying, who, who are you? I want to know as much about Jesus and, as I possibly can, learn about him, and be prepared to meet him face to face. And now let's do some more preparation. We're going to sit down at the Lord's table. And when I ask our elders and our deacons, if you would, to prepare to serve us, and this is a time that we can take as part of preparing to meet God. Our communion is open to all. If you're visiting, you're welcome to receive communion with us. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if he is the Lord of your life, we do ask little children you'd keep from what they don't understand. And I want to just ask a question. And we do this every first Sunday of the month. We do it every Thursday at 
our Thursday morning service, has it become just an observance? Is this just a rite? Is it just a ritual? Is it just going through some motions, taking a piece of bread? Yeah, okay. Taking the cup. Thank you. Move on. Or is it real to you? I understand how we can hold on to things. I've done it. I've held on to things, haven't let go of, had to learn the hard way, hard way. Things have become ritual in the church from time to time. Has a pastor ever gone through the motions? I've gone through the motions. Sometimes I have. I don't want that. I want to get to know my God. I want to know him because I'm going to meet him. And I want this time to be real where I really discern the body of Christ recognize the sacrifice he made for my life. No, he gave his life for me. And genuinely honor that. This is the body of Christ we're talking about. Don't let it be a ritual like the Israelites. The apostle Paul said this, for I received from the Lord but I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. (sighs) That, that, That is amazing. This is the new covenant in his blood. That old way is past. Animal sacrifices are past. I don't have to do that anymore. Jesus Christ spilled his blood for me. He gave me a new covenant. He paid a ransom for my sin. Don't let those words fall on deaf ears. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. God, don't let it be a ritual. God, don't let me be going through the motions. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. We just read We just read about God's justice and judgment. I'm so glad for the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't want to take it as a, I don't want to take it as some ritual, go through the motions. No. This bread represents his broken body. He did something for me and he did something for you. Let's take a minute or more to really look inside and observe. If you've been holding on to something, if God's calling you to let it go, today's a day, let it go. 
Say, God, I'll have faith in you. I can trust in you. I want you to be my security. This thing that I've made into something it shouldn't be. God, grant me. Grant me the, the, the will to let it go. If this has become a ritual or anything else, let's just take a minute. Talk to God about it. Look inside. His word asks us to do that. And let's do it sincerely this morning.